I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are my lovely and talented co-hosts mr eric smith hello and miss sarah buck hello and uh so this episode um is is we're not going to be somber about it as much, um, but we are going to do a tribute to one of um, the icons of film and television and sci-fi and basically the childhood and adulthood and, and um, teenage years of many, many science fiction fans. Um, Leonard Nimoy passed away. Um, it wasn't unexpected, but it's still not an easy loss. For a lot of people and um, if we have callers this episode we're going to uh, have them share their thoughts and memories of uh, Leonard Nimoy with you as well and we're going to share our own um, it you know he was an icon and a good person and um, you know we don't have many of our heroes left keep losing them like that so um but this episode we are definitely going to do a tribute to mr leonard nimoy um before we get into that though we do have an interview uh that i was very excited to snag for the show um with nick demisi who stars in um the new film that's coming out on dvd and blu-ray on the 10th of march called late phases night of the wolf um, it is a great, great movie. Um, I was lucky enough to get to see it before um, talking to Nick. And uh, you can actually pre-order this right now on Amazon.com for 10 bucks. And it's a beautiful film, great Blu-ray. And uh, we talked to Nick about it, about filming uh, this. It's all practical effects. It's a great werewolf movie, and it's different in that it's an older heroic figure you got a, a a vietnam vet actually taking on werewolves in this and he's blind um it's just a phenomenal movie and it's got a great cast with like tom noonan um lance guest ethan Embry, and uh demisi himself who uh if you didn't know this co-wrote Stakeland and also starred in it which is a very um, uh, great vampire flick. And uh, he's just an amazing uh, all-around artist. He, he's a director, he's a writer, he's a, a producer. And uh, right now, as we talk about this in the interview, he's getting ready to start filming and writing um, Hap and Leonard, the, uh, the new series based off of Joe Lansdale's series of books, 
which I know Eric's really excited about. Very excited about that. I can't wait. <laughs> um, but so let's get to the interview and then we will turn to our tribute to Leonard Nimoy. Um, so without further ado, here is Nick Demisi. Everyone, I'd love you to uh, welcome Nick Demisi on to Fangirl Radio. He's the star of Late Phases, which is one of the best werewolf movies I've seen in a few years, actually. I really enjoyed it, and it's coming to DVD and Blu-ray here in a few days. And uh, Nick, thank you for joining us on Fangirl Radio. Thank you. Um, so I, I got to get started here because I'm just blown away by all the stuff that you've already done and what you're working on currently. And I was just, I love this movie so much. I, I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, oh, my first question, so oh, it was so good. I, I really can't say how much I loved it. Um, so between this and Stakeland and Mulberry Street, um, we are what we are. It's it's obvious you have a major love and interest in horror. How did that start for you? I've always liked horror movies since I was a kid, and I grew up on the the old ones you know, on television when I was a kid in the '30s, Warner Brothers, and all those those old horror movies, and uh, just always had an inkling to. Read horror books. I love horror books. You know, so got the opportunity to do Mulberry Street eventually, and that was the beginning of it. It's just a great genre to work in because you can tell all these kind of slice of life life movies, which just are very hard to get done anymore. But if you make it a horror movie, everybody seems to think it's okay to make them. So it's kind of fun. Well, and that's kind of uh, I I a lot of uh, late phases kind of is in in that way because it's a way of getting across a message while getting it hidden under the genre um kind of that's kind of what like mm-hmm. rod Serkis did with the twilight zone always thought was you can get away with right. so much having it hidden in that way mm-hmm. not the living dead you know social commentary it's uh you know it's one of the the best things about horror you know a lot of horror now you know not to pick on modern horror movies but they're just there for the horror you know and there's no there's nothing underneath it. That I don't find interesting. The Saw movies, uh, you know, the uh, torture porn movies and stuff like that. I'm just like, it's just it's about gore and, you know, to me it has to be a story. You know, if there's no story, why are you, why are you doing it, you know? Totally. And and part of the appeal to me of late phases is the focus on the characters and the fact it shows a hero like Ambrose can be so much of a badass and you don't typically see, you know, it's kind of interesting as I'm getting older, it's I you kind of get tired of seeing these haughty you know, like these young, young, young actors, you don't, and it's sort of fake, and and seeing a character like Ambrose be be just as much of a badass as anybody, even not only the age, but with the disability that you gave him, um, it's just phenomenal, and I really, it was that part of the appeal for you, was getting to do a character like that in this. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I was, I mean, he's a Vietnam veteran, and this, obviously, I'm, I'm not that old, but, you know, the, the writer was influenced by his grandfather, I think, and he's a pretty young kid, but so his grandfather was like World War II era, which, you know, is the greatest generation, so I always looked at Ambrose as that kind of guy, you know, he's, he's from a different era, he has a different, you know, which you just don't see anymore, men were, men were men, you know, I'm going to get yelled at for saying that, but I'm a little tired of the whole Metro 
sexual, you know, guys just, you know, man up. It's, uh, and I have a rule in movies. I don't, I won't cry. I tell every director I meet this. I, I don't cry. You know, and I just, I don't want to see men cry anymore. I'm tired of it. You know, it's, you know, you want me to cry, kick me in the nuts, I'll cry. But otherwise, I don't, I don't want to hear it. You know, it's one thing to watch an actor weep. You know, but for a man to break down and ball like a baby, I'm like, I'm totally not interested in the character after he does it. I'm like, sorry. Um, but that's just well, well, my my age showing. Well, and and I mean, I was really touched by this just because of you know with with the dog and and him being basically your cane that you lost and that whole mm. scene. I loved how you played that because it was out of it was respect. It was a fallen soldier to him, and I really really like that how you played that yeah, that character. That hooked, me on, that hooked me on the script right away when I read that. You know, I, I loved that that whole idea as so, you know. You know, it basically is the story in a nutshell, you know. You know, guy's dog gets killed and that's it. He's at war. You know, yeah, and I, I have dogs. I love dogs. So. Yeah, that was just phenomenal. I really, really liked it. And um, I just, that was great. Um, so what was the process like for you uh, to get into this character? Because, uh, it, I mean, you you didn't blink. I don't remember you blinking. I mean, you really went to town with this, and I, I just wondered where you went to get in the headspace for him and, and research-wise for this. The, the blind thing was actually funny in a way. I mean, it's just really a you know an acting one-on-one thing. You know, everybody wants to play a blind person. It's like, oh, yeah, I got to play a blind person. So like an idiot, you know, I went back to my acting stuff. So, well, you got to do it. So I started getting up in the morning, and, you know, I get up very early, you know. And I said, all right, I'm going to do my morning routine with a blindfold, you know, so I couldn't see. So I blindfold myself, and I'd spill my coffee. I'd burn my nose instead of light the cigarette. I'd stub my toe, you know. I'd <laughs> knock stuff. You know, I just got to a point where, I, you know, after about three or four days of that, I said, "This is not working. I'm not learning anything about being blind here." And it came to me, you know, at that point, for an actor to be blind is not about me actually knowing what it is to be blind. I can never know that. You know, as long as I have my sight, I'll never know it. You know, what does a blind person see? They don't. You know, we close our eyes, We, our eyes are still there, you know, they're just not seeing light anymore. So it's a very different thing. And so I did some research on that, you know, I went online, and uh, there's two types of blindness, people who are born blind, people who go blind. People who've never seen, their eye muscles don't develop, so they get that jumpy eye thing, their eyes kind of mm -hmm. flutter up and down. And that's why most blind people wear sunglasses, because that can be very dis disarming to people who don't, you know, look at them and go, oh, that's weird. But people who have sight and lose it, their eyes have formed. So their eyes don't jump. They just get that blank stare. So it was finding the blank stare. And that was just a technical, you know, basically doing a lot of quick time tests on myself at first, saying, okay, I'm going to put that on, and then I'm going to sit here and try and look blind. And what I discovered was it's a matter of just looking peripherally. So we focus on the center like a camera almost. And if you look at the center and then just blank that out like you put your hand there instead, but don't look at it, you're forced to look peripherally. And that became the technique. It was not super hard or anything. You know, uh, the hardest part was the lights, you know, obviously, and action, because I couldn't look at what I was doing when I was doing action, so that was all being kind of seen peripherally. And I had a trusted director and the camera guy and everybody else to say, hey, wait a minute, your eyes move. Because <laughs> they did once in a while. It's just, now, you know, your eyes pick up light, they're going to react. But they did a really good job of catching any of that, and uh, you know, I was actually 
quite happy when I saw the movie. That I think I pulled it off. I didn't, okay. and I looked blind. I actually had to double check to make sure that you. Yeah, I, I, I was like, he's not as he's not blind. I, I had to double. T- I mean, you were that convincing. Oh, you, you sold it. Um, so, how was it to work with this cast? Because it was an, an amazing cast in this, like Lance Guest and Tom oh, Noonan. They, I didn't even recognize Lance Guest at first. It took me a, a yeah, few minutes. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Lance Dolphite. Right? <laughs> he's like more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a terrific guy, great actor. He's just a lot of fun to be around. Uh, you know, Ratanya Alda, who I always loved, and uh, you know, Aaron Cummings, Keaton Embry he was terrific. Terrific. I call him a kid. He's not a kid. He's a man. To me, he's a kid. You know, Tom Newton, of course, who I actually know, so that was kind of fun. And uh, Larry Fesden, of course, I've worked with before. So it was really kind of an interesting, uh, you know, team of Louise from Gillian's Island together. I was impressed by it. I, 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 yeah, it was a great cast. Now, the the thing that I liked too, and I appreciated about this, was it was a practical effects movie. What were some of the mm-hmm. challenges filming this with practical effects for you specifically, and as well as just filming this in general? Because there were some there were some interesting scenes in this flick, and I don't want to spoil anything, but there was some interesting stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it really wasn't that different. I've always done my own stunts, even you know. Even as I'm getting old, I stay in pretty good shape. I can still fall down pretty good. So that wasn't really, you know, that different for me. But for the the stunt guys and stuff in those heavy costumes doing stunts, it was hot summertime. I could see where it was like, wow, that's really, you know. But I just love the idea of, you know, uh, I don't like CGI generally, you know. Unless you can do it like uh, Jackson does it, you know, there's no point in doing it. You know, generally it's, uh, there's not a soul underneath what I'm seeing, so I'm not interested. But at least, if even if it's an actor in a rubber costume, you know, it's an actor under there, so, uh, or a person, at least, even if it's a stunt guy, it doesn't matter. For me, I, I, I prefer it. I, but, I thought uh, it was great. I liked the subtlety on them, because the, the, they were different. They didn't look like the same creature like the um, in, in this. So I really liked that they brought that, and they looked like an individual wolf, each one of them. That was wonderful. Yeah, I think they had a, a bunch of different... It was mostly the same guy in different costumes playing all the werewolves, and then the stunt guy, of course, did a lot of the, the stunt work. That was really great. I that, that <laughs> <laughs> probably lost 40 so, pounds. I bet, and that's just pouring the sweat out of the suit, probably. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So, um, the one thing that I, I had to talk to you about um, and bring this up is that you're working on the Happen Leonard series, which is one of my yeah. favorite book series. I about oh, died. I, oh, God, I was so excited to hear that they were actually making it because I'd been saying for a couple of years they need to do a half-and-littered movie or something. So you're, you've worked on a lot of uh, Lansdale because you, you also co-wrote and acted in Cold in July. Yeah. What attracted his work, um, first of all? And then- uh, Jim uh, Mickles, you know, I partnered up with for like 12 years now, on and off, uh, you know, one point gave me the half, uh, not the half, he gave me cold in July years ago, you know, said, well, I'd love to do this one day. And, uh, you know, that was b- before we did Stakeland, even, whatever, you know, just, but it was a great book. So I started reading all the books and just really got into it, you know, and so I read a lot of Leonard's and 
the bottoms. I love the bottoms. Man. They're making a movie out of the bottoms, too, I understand. So that could be interesting. And uh, so basically, it was just, you know, I was, a, I was a, a fan. I'm an avid reader. I read constantly. So, you know, it was just the opportunity to do Lansdale 10. Cold July really went well. Joe was very happy. So, uh, you know, when this opportunity came about, I was like, oh, okay. Television a little different, you know. It's a whole different medium, different thing going in. You know, it's it's just not my thing. You know, I've done small films basically, so this is very uh, it's a learning learning curve. But it's it's good. The challenge is good, and the people have been so great. Are you, been wonderful. Are you planning on acting in the series at all? Because you you could pull off half, I think, really well. <laughs> I'm probably 15 years too old and. Uh, and my name ain't big enough, honey. That's the truth. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think right. I know a lot of people that would be down for that. Who would you um, Who would you like to see cast in this, like, dream-wise, if you could have your pick? Who would you want to have for Happ and Leonard? Oh, God. That's a tough question. You know, I always, ironically, Happ is a very hard part to cast. You know, nowadays, I mean, I think years ago, there were, there were actors who could have done it pretty easily. But, you know... He's a tough one, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a particular type. It's basically, I think it's Joe Lansdale, you know, that was the closest thing he ever wrote to himself. So I could do base that character on himself. And uh, I always kind of saw him when I read the books as like, not character-wise at all, but physically-wise, like a Jack Nicholson type. <laughs> you know, a younger Jack Nicholson. You know, kind of a balding, regular, everyday guy, you know. And uh, uh-huh. so, you know. I think a lot of guys who could have done a terrific, quickly terrific job on it, but of course, you know, a lot of them are huge names. You know, so. Very hard yeah, to get I the was, big names. I used to see. Uh, in my I love Billy but he's as old as I am, I think. <laughs> well, I used to see in my head, I think, Bruce Campbell a little bit when I pictured him. And I don't know if he's too old now. Yeah, him but. and Joe are actually really tight. Yeah, he could have, he could have, I don't know, you know. Half is a ladies' man, so there's something about that that always, you know, not that Bill isn't, but, you know, <laughs> half's kind of a puppy dog guy, you know. He's got some, some sadness to him that's kind of, you know. Yeah, that's why I, those, those books, uh, I, I freaking like, ate through them in, like, no time when I would discovered them, and they were so great. I oh, was yeah. so happy at this. So. I just gave them all to my 83-year-old mother, and she's ripping through them. It's <laughs> 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 like a jail. I just started a new fan. That is amazing. So um, I think we're about out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, pimp anything that you've got going on other than uh, we just talked about Happ and Leonard. Um, what else can we see you in other than Late Phases? Uh, I did a movie last summer. I don't know when it'll be out called Man with Van. Uh, caper about two arsonists. And uh, then uh, the... Late Phases, obviously, is coming out on DVD. We know that. So, and then we'll see. And then Happen Leonard, I go off to uh, down south to shoot in about a month or so. Be oh, my gosh. So we'll see what happens. I am so excited. Well, Nick, thank sure. you so much. And thank you for making such an awesome flick with Late Phases. It was so good. And it's one of the best. Oh, like thank I said, you so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling everybody, go you know, buy this when oh, it comes great. out. Yeah. Well, thank you. Like. Thank you so much, and um, we'll, we will see you um, see you soon on TV or on the big screen. Oh, see you in the movies. Ciao.
Ciao, ciao. Ciao, bye-bye. So, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the interview, and um, now we're going to roll on to our tribute to Leonard Nimoy. Um, so, everybody knows Leonard Nimoy is Mr. Spock. That was, uh, you know, kind of a curse for him and a blessing at the same time, and something that he actually ended up embracing completely um, as he, he um, went through his career. And... Uh, since his passing, there's been a ton of tributes, there's been a ton of stories come out about him, and I really wanted to give everyone a chance to talk about how what he meant to them, because I know personally, um, Spock was a phenomenal character in my life, Star Trek was a big deal for me growing up, and influenced my outlook on on things, and, and, and Spock in particular did. Um, and Nimoy's uh, just contributions to art and to film, television, his photography, and, and he, he was sort of an icon in the fact that he embraced diversity so much and uh, was a big, big, big proponent of women being treated as equals and being treated, uh, you know, not being based on appearance with his photography work. He did, um, a, you know, that came out again. I, I, I remembered this, and it was really touching when it originally came out that he did the uh, series of, of plus-size women being shown in, in ways that normally you would only see, you know, your slender, your slender models. Um, and he took a lot of flack for that. People were like, well, what, Nimoy likes fat chicks? Is that what's going on here? And that kind of thing. But um, it wasn't that. He wanted people, Leonard Nimoy seemed to be a guy that just wanted people to care about one another and um, really be accepting. And that was what was so great about Mr. Spock. And one thing that has come out since this was the fact that, um, and I took this away and, and I'm, a long time ago and it, it really touched me that they brought this back was uh, a letter he wrote to a mixed race teenage girl who wrote him back when Star Trek was on the air and asked him you know as you know you're Mr. Spock you're from two worlds you're both two races how do you deal with that and he gave her this very eloquent and beautiful reply and that's something that I, I attribute to him and Gene Roddenberry for that character. He put so much of himself in that character and Jew, his Jewish heritage, things like that, um, that are part of Spock's makeup. Like he, he really helped build this mythos of Vulcan and and all of that. But um, it was part of what Star Trek represented and what Leonard Nimoy himself, not just on the show but in real life, represented was a, a you know caring about everyone and, and being equal and you had a mixed race character basically you know you couldn't get away with having a half white half black character on a show really back then you had to you had to be sneaky and um that was what was so great about star trek and and shows like the twilight zone and the and night gallery which he was also on twice and i think directed an episode of um I, that was what was so a big deal about this character. And I think a lot of people may not think about that now because it's more accepted. But back in the day, that was a huge thing. And the fact that he was Jewish as well in, in, um, in real life was a... It, 
you know that's not that's not easily accepted as either um, back then it was still kind of a, a big thing so that's one of the things I took away from his work and in his life is just this caring attitude and the fact that he really was an icon in in terms of equality and um, I think that's just beautiful. So that's just, that's my take. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've rambled on now. I'm going to pass this over to, um, I'm going to give Sarah um, her opportunity to talk about because I know this affected her as well. Yeah, uh, it was really tough for me to learn that Leonard Nimoy died because he was one of those people who is very much like a grandfather figure um, to me. And, uh, you know, you you always, I think I've said this before, but it's like somebody who's been with you since you were a child. As a child, we didn't have that concept that those people were going to go away. And those are the hardest ones to lose, I think. Because, you know, when they when they made their imprint on you and your heart, uh, you never thought that you would ever lose it. And even as we grow older and we come to terms with our own human mortality, yada, 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 you know, you, you still retain a little bit of that childish um, thought that those, those things will never go away. And thankfully, you know, we all have memories, and so they're never really going to go away, but it's still hard to understand that they've, they're gone from the world now, and you, you can't go and talk to them anymore. But um, Star Trek was the great equalizer in my household. Um, we were made up of a very, like, socially, politically diverse group of people um, in my nuclear family and my extended family, but all of us loved Star Trek. And so all of my earliest memories with uh, spending time with my parents and spending time with my uncles and aunts and cousins where everybody sit, sat down and watched Star Trek. And um, Spock specifically, you know, one of my first celebrity crushes. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the dark hair, but it gets me every time. But, uh, but you know, he's such a unique character. Um, he... He is the best of everything uh, without being a Mary Sue about it, you know? Um, because Mary Sue's drive me nuts, but Spock is not one. Um, uh, and like Jessica mentioned with his project with the photography, I also want to stress that, you know... Um, these, uh, he did a photography series of um, plus-sized women or, you know, what he called normal-sized women. His big impetus was on the fact that, you know, like, we're not depicting 
normal sized women in media so he didn't even use like the plus size label which we've all adopted so heavily in society um but that also like they were these beautiful um photographs of normal women um but also i would stress not taken within that lens of commodification and objectification that we are also so so used to so bravo um for him on that front as well because he understood that not only um do women need to be more accurately represented um but that they need to be represented in a way that's not objectifying and commodifying them as uh things to be owned uh which is something that you know we haven't internalized yet and that meant so much to me to see someone when the project first started out and you know he was talking about it um to see somebody i had looked up to so much as a young girl still speaking out for which you know it really felt like speaking out for me even as a young woman was you know he's he's a big damn hero well and he didn't and the other thing that i didn't mention and and goes along with this is his work he did a series of jewish women and they were um absolutely beautifully done and they were very strong images they weren't overly sexualized or anything like that and they stirred up a lot of controversy in the jewish community because he showed these women in ways that made men in the community and, and others uncomfortable like wearing men's clothes in some of these cl pictures and he um he went ahead and even though he was very highly thought of in the community he did this and um it sparked some controversy but that's he wanted the equality and he wasn't afraid to show it and this was his way of of fighting for that equality and that's amazing so i it just you know using art as uh, as a weapon is great i think i i and, um, that. I mean, he's been using art, he, you know, he used art as a medium his whole life. They, um, I believe one of my favorite things about him is that when they hired him on to do Star Trek, I believe he was teaching method acting in Los Angeles at the time. And I just think that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy's school of method acting, like, if only, you know? Hey, no. I'd, I'd be there. I'd be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, um, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts and memories on Leonard Nimoy? Well, um, you know, Star Trek, the original series, is only two and a half months older than I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I grew up watching it. Uh, I was a baby when it was first aired, but... Yeah, I was uh, pretty young when the repeats were on, and I, I, I was watching it. And, of course, Spock was my favorite character. Um, one, he was really cool looking with the pointed <laughs> ears and the eyebrows, and he had green blood, which was really awesome. But <laughs> despite my uh, vivacious and bubbly outer shell, 
I'm really a very logical person. I very much believe in logic, so Spock was sort of a role model for me. Um, you know, he thought things through, and as much as I like the action hero, um, it's always good to have a plan first. <laughs> um, so I just was a huge, huge fan of that character. Uh, when I was in grade school, I dressed up as Spock for Halloween. My mother hand-sewed a Starfleet uniform for me. Oh, and I wow. had putty, uh, used putty to make the ears, and uh, that was just one of my favorite costumes. Um, and I love evil Spock. Ah, uh, the, the goatee! The goatee! <laughs> yeah. I have, I have two evil Spock action, well, figures. Figurines, I guess. They're not really action figures. But uh, that was just to see him switch gears and play that. Actually, some of the best episodes were when he was more emotional having just talked about how important logic is, seeing him flip that switch uh, when he was under the influence of Pawn Far, or uh, uh, yeah, the one, I can't remember the name of the episode. <laughs> is it Shore Leave? The one where he gets sprayed with the flower. Oh, and he becomes... Um, that was Eden. He was on the mm -hmm. Eden planet, right? And the hippie, yeah. and he ends up with the hippie girl. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He's hang isn't he hanging upside down from a yeah, tree? Yeah, he's hanging from a tree, and he's, like, making yeah. out with her, and yeah. yeah. So it was, and it happened, it didn't happen very often, so it was really exciting to see him sort of stretch beyond the bounds of, of typical Spock and do something different. And then, of course, I, uh, inst what's that? I was going to say, I always felt bad for Nurse Chapel. Oh, yeah, her crush. Poor Nurse Chapel. <laughs> I, like, uh, I don't really feel bad for her because you know she's that superfluous like like wafy woman character as you know it's hard to feel bad for her in retrospect but yeah poor nurse chapel <laughs> we are all nurse chapel <laughs> uh, I guess when but it then... comes to like Nimoy I love that when he, uh, in the Pond Far episode where he wakes up, uh, you know, when she's, like, at his bedside and they're like, you know, you shows you're holding his hand and she's like, oh, dear. <laughs> what any good nurse would do. That's what she sounds like in my mind, by the way. And that, that reminds me, I actually have three figures because I just recently got a, a Pond Far Spock out of the sci-fi blind box. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a really cool-looking figure. But well, the other thing, the other thing growing up was in search of, and oh, I think yes. that was really that was a family event for us. Um, we didn't all sit down and watch Star Trek because of different schedules and such, but we did sit down and watch In Search of every week, and and loved that show. And he was such, and a big part of that was Leonard Nimoy. He was the voice. He was, he was there. He was, well, he was on the show. I mean, you, yeah, he actually, that's voice. right. Because he's not just the voice, but he actually hosted it, which I, yeah. I have to, you know, they have that on DVD now. They released an entire box set of In Search Of. They, and then, of course, were... he, well, I was Go going ahead. to say, he did that, he did that again on The Simpsons. Yep. Yep. When uh, the same episode that uh, Mulder and Scully were on, he was on and did a whole In Search Of kind of homage yeah and he was walking around in the suit and everything too that's mm -hmm. right oh my gosh well and and the thing that i remember 
And um, I, my my husband, uh, who will kill me if he hears this and me telling this on the air, but he, I, I think I've said this before, that he was the... Uh, the guy that was uh, uh, the local Eugene president of the Star Trek club, him and his brother, for real, they actually were. And um, this meant a lot to him was Transformers the movie. He was Galvatron. Right. When Megatron was killed and he became Galvatron, it was the voice of Leonard Nimoy. And that was what was so freaking cool because I think he came, he came back not as Galvatron but as another character in Michael Bay's Transformers, uh, in the third one. Yeah. And uh, he was actually married, I think, to Michael Bay's sister or cousin. His wife was is related to Michael Bay. Um, but I, I always loved that he was the voice of Galvatron. It was such a great... Because he actually tried to sound like Megatron. And I thought that was so neat. Anyway, I don't I, know I, about I, you guys... Oh, sorry. But I don't go know ahead. about you guys, but I cried my eyes out when Zachary Kinto's Spock met Leonard Nimoy Spock. Oh, I, I was actually at Comic-Con when they announced it. And he walked out I, on stage. Yeah, I, like, cried. I literally just could not handle it, and I broke into tears. And was like, oh my God. Well, I, I, I didn't cry, because that would be illogical, but I did choke up. I did choke up a little bit. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, And the beautiful it, thing about Spock, and I think this is a big influence from Leonard Nimoy, was that, you know, his constant actual, like, acquiescence to that kind of bridging the gap between the traditional ways of the Vulcans and, you know, kind of trying to bring it into that whole, like, City of Tomorrow kind of feel that um, that was, you know, was represented by the Enterprise and the crew, you know, this, like, really kind of... Yeah, the, well, the euphoric kind of... Ideally, anytime you have the science fiction, you're going to have, like, this idyllic kind of we've done away. This is, like, the next phase type thing. Um, Like, he did such a beautiful job representing um, a remnant of the past and maybe a reason why, you know, you shouldn't dismiss cultures and traditions very, you know, as easily as sometimes, you know, Captain Kirk was willing to. Um, which well, and, and, go well, and I I was gonna say is I the, he kind of did that uh, I I keep saying this he did that in real life as well like they came out and said um, Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig said that Nimoy is the one who fought for them to get equal pay on that on Star Trek and it came out later he admitted it that yeah I I was the one that negotiated and got them to actually pay them what they're worth and 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 get them equal pay on the show instead of being like second hand second rate you know string actors on a, on this series cuz what where would we be without Ohura and Chekhov in Star Trek I mean they were important characters they represented a big deal and I think that's amazing that he did that you know he stuck his neck out for them to do that um and he really was this champion he got he had such a zen to him in everything didn't he i mean that's one of the things even in invasion of the body snatchers 
even when he became oh, yeah. a pod person, he was still <laughs> all zen. It was like, the hell is going on here? And, um, even on Fringe, he he did that. Uh, it was, you know, it it was just a really cool. You could tell he was a neat guy and a cool a cool person. Well, and I think one thing that I think that Leonard Nimoy would agree with me. Of course, I'm you know projecting, but you know, indulge me for a minute. But I really think that, um, you know, one thing that he wanted and one thing that he still would want is for us to not just, you know, label him a hero and uh, put him on a pedestal, but to look to him to kind of, like, set the example as to where we should aspire to be, where we need to be as human beings, you know, like... That's one thing, like, I, he's absolutely one of my heroes, but I still, you know, I want to, I want to be that. I want to emulate that, not just, you know, raise it up. Right. I, I think that's one thing that he would want people to do, and that's what he kept doing. And I think that's why he kept coming back to Star Trek, because he knew it influenced so much and so many people was, you, you know, be the example you know, take what I, take what we give you from this this ideal of a future where everybody gets along, where we are explorers and we're learners. And he did that with um, his, you know, in real life with donating to uh, science projects and, and things like the uh, observatory in L.A. And um, he was big with NASA. NASA absolutely loved him. Um, and I, I, I think that's what he wanted people to take. And that's the best way to honor the memory of a guy like that is to continue that and learn from him and that example and learn from the characters that he created. And the art that he left behind, too. Exactly. Well, and that was one of the things I wanted to, um, I, we're getting ready to run out of time, but I wanted to give you guys an, uh, it, it you know, what's one thing that you remember that sticks out to you um, uh, that, you know, your connection to to, the, to Leonard Nimoy or Spock or any character of his? Um, I know mine is, my, and I've talked to you guys about this, uh, not on the show, but my sister and I and our, our love of this guy and, and Star Trek and how I grew up with her um, being my older sister, she got me into Trek. And learning who Leonard Nimoy was because she was in love with this man. In love with Spock from an early age. It was Spock and Barnabas. And that's just it. It was Spock and Barnabas. (laughs) And, um, you know, we went to... I just remembered this. I posted about this on Facebook and Eric saw it and I think Sarah saw it. But I I completely spaced. I was in junior high and I went to this convention and um, the thing Leonard Nimoy did was he was also a writer and a director. A lot of people know about him directing Star Trek um, The Voyage Home, which was hugely popular in the Star Trek franchise. But and three men and a little baby. And, yeah, th- but, I was going to say three men and a baby, Jess. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to forget. But uh, he was uh, working on some projects, and he, he showed it. He, it was really cool. He didn't sign autographs, I don't think, at this con, because it would have been a madhouse for him to do that. But it was a small con in St. Louis, Missouri, 
and he decided to deem uh, us worthy of showing us test footage of his Ching and Ng um, biopic that he was going to try and make, and he was writing a script for. And it was so neat to see that. I'd never seen an actor or anyone ever do something like that. Like, it's really raw footage, like test footage of this thing. And he came and showed, and he was asking us specifically, what do you guys think? What do you, you know, should I pursue this? What do you all... And he was really serious. He was asking fans' opinion. And that kind of carried over to when he went on to Twitter and was really interactive on there and... It was, it, you know, that was this kind of guy he was. He he always give you his time, you know, as tributes rolled in from celebrities and people who had, had hung out with him. That was one thing that I took away was that he always was very free with his time and very, you know, talkative. And, you know, I haven't heard a bad word. Um, but, yes, my sister and I and Spock and the Taco Bell... <laughs> Uh, standee that my sister was bound and determined to win to the point that we, oh God, I don't even know how many we put in that box, but my sister still has it. It's a painted, life-sized Mr. Spock from Star Trek II Wrath of Khan in costume, and she still has it in her in her bar downstairs and she's never going to get rid of it. <laughs> and uh, that's how much she loves Spock. And uh, yeah, so another one of those things my sister got me into growing up and has stuck with me and you know the influence of Leonard Nimoy in my life and I was very sad to see that he left and uh yeah people were like why are you so why are you crying he was 83 he had a long life it's like I'm not crying for him I'm crying for me and everybody else because he was our you know well it must the- <laughs> That's also like, your grandma was like, why are you crying? Your grandma died. Grandma died. Why are you crying? That's like such a terrible thing to say. I, to I know. It, it, like, it is. It's like, like, no, 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 no. People don't lose emotional value because they're old. Just no. <laughs> you know, that, that was that's so anti-Spock. And that's the thing that I, I, you know, I posted on Twitter to everybody, uh, is not everybody gets it how losing someone that you you may never have met in your life wouldn't know you from Adam but you know you lose someone that means a lot to you you grew up with it's like you you've you not everybody gets it but fans and trekkies in any fandom when it's something like this when it's an icon and a legend to so many people. He's like Superman. Everybody knows who Superman is. Everyone knows who Mr. Spock is. But, you know, no one gets it until they're gone. And um, fans feel these kind of things a lot more than any other people normally do. And especially oh. something like this. He, he went on freaking Twitter and told everyone I'll be your honorary grandfather. <laughs> he did new- that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a new culture, you know, it's a new media culture, and um, some people refuse to, like, accept, you know, the, the relationships between celebrities and the people who love them, and, you know, that's very, that's very sad, I think. That's sad because they're limiting themselves to yeah. the, the kind of, like 
ephemeral nature of American pop culture. Uh, well, you know, and um, people... I think they're, they're limiting themselves on, on values and things that they could learn from it. How many people are dismissive of Star Trek? Yet, I think there's... Oh, yeah. I think there's know, a little bit of elitism going on there, too, because, like, if you can go sit in a theater and cry at a stage play, you can sit in front of a television screen and cry. Because why... You don't know those actors on the stage. Just because you could spit on them does not mean you are more more emotionally connected to those people, uh, you know, than, than an actor in a television series is. Right, you know? and it's... I, I just... And the elitism, I think, falls follows over, too, that people don't realize just how important that series and, and series like The Twilight Zone and and shows like that are in the in the realm of message making and being a, being subversive and getting things out there like racism and um, just all of the messages that those shows came through with and Star Trek was another one Roddenberry was really sneaky really oh, sneaky yeah. and and he got got stuff across that well what do you mean he's black on that side white on the other yep. he's white on that side black on that one it's like gee what are you talking about gene I <laughs> but you know that's the thing that was what's so and and that was what's so powerful about it and when you realize that and you connect to it and you find yourself relating to these people and and these characters like 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 i said the girl that wrote him back then and so many others who find themselves you know caught between two worlds spock was special there weren't that many mixed race characters even if that one race was an alien race it doesn't matter and that is why it is so special and stands out and why you know when you when you find yourself relating to a character like that who thinks more who is more you know scientifically driven and and that kind of stuff too not necessarily because of the race thing um you know he he was the brainy hero that's awesome mm -hmm. and and one of the first you know it's sherlock holmes and mr spock and <laughs> um and now what do we got? We got Sherlock Holmes everywhere. And, you know, it's it, it's interesting to me that people kind of just completely miss it. But fans get it and the fans that understand get it. And we're all fans here and we understand what we've lost, but what we still have, thanks to him and all that work. Yes. So... Mm -hmm. All right, Eric. Do you have a do you have a memory or th thing that stands out to you? Well, um, much earlier, you mentioned uh, Spock being both a blessing and a curse for him, and uh, one of the things that I always remember is uh, essentially when he finally accepted um, the 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 moniker. That he would always be remembered, <laughs> I guess. Because if I'm not mistaken, his I don't know if it was his first autobiography. I think it was, and it was titled am... "I'm Not Spock." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, much years and years later, he finally wrote "I Am Spock." I do believe. <laughs> um, yes, he did. And that was his way of 
of finally accepting it and knowing that even though um, he had done so much more and uh, there, he did have fans for the other things that he did, there would always be, Spock would always be the kind of spotlight. Right. And, you know, and I think he, well, he learned to accept it and I think use it to his advantage to uh, reach more people and spread those messages that, that we've been talking about the whole show. Um, you know, would, would, speaking of the, the artwork, the photography and everything, I mean, would that have been well, as well known if it wasn't Leonard Nimoy who had done it or someone exactly. with a name? Um, exactly. Not to say it's not, it wouldn't be as worthwhile as art or have as worthwhile a message, but would it have spread as much? And I think he knew that he could use the fact that he was Spock to to touch more people in a good way and maybe make the world a better place. Use that tool that he had, his the biggest tool in his tool belt, to uh, to affect people. I am a Vulcan. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I I it's right. I mean. That's the thing that I think he was smart to do. And, and Shatner eventually came around to that as well. Um, but uh, Nimoy, I think, embraced it quicker than Shatner did in terms of, well, I'm always going to be this, so I might as well go for it. And he ended up doing it on the... Um, the thing that I, I really... It got me was um, uh, that someone told this to William Shatner on Twitter... Uh, the fact that on Star Trek Online, that massive online multiplayer, that the minute the word got out that he had passed, all these care, all everybody went to Vulcan in the game mm. to to pay respects. It, it's it sounds goofy, but at the same time, it's super super touching. And the fact that they're actually going to build a monument in the game on Vulcan to him—that's cool. I think that I, I think that's just neat, you know. It, it to other people it would probably sound it's just a damn game. I mean, but I just think that's so neat to me because he was such a part of that game too. I mean, he voiced that game. He was Spock in the game still, and and I think this is beautiful. I, you know, it's fan stuff. It's what we do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think uh, we can wrap it up, um, our tribute episode. Uh, Sarah, Eric, um, final thoughts, Sarah? Um, well, the first, uh, the first characters my daughter could identify when she was two years old were Spock and Captain Kirk from the Enterprise. <laughs> so thank you, Mr. Nimoy. You will live on. That's awesome. Probably. Eric? eternally <laughs> definitely um i just you know again i grew up watching star trek i loved spock and leonard nimoy i loved seeing him in anything i remember watching him in colombo oh yeah um, and uh all the different shows that he he was on um of course i mean what else is there to say besides everybody should just try to live long and prosper exactly and uh um Personally, I, I will just always remember him for helping me become the geek that I am and, and with Star Trek and just teaching me a lot of things, um, you know, how to be a better person and, and just, you know, just because you're different doesn't mean you're horrible or, you know, you deserve to be treated badly as well. I mean, everyone, 
deserves equality. And um, I, I will also remember being, I, I, Eric and I talked about this, seven years old, went to the movie theater and saw Wrath of Khan and bawled my freaking eyes out with my sister as we watched this character who was so amazing pass away on screen and, and sacrifice himself for the good of all. And yet another lesson, the um, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So the ship's out of danger. And um, thank you, Leonard Nimoy. And I'm not going to cry. So much right now. Stop <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to cry, God damn Ah. <laughs> 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 Eric, are you crying? <laughs> no, sorry. You're an ass, but you're I've a had you're my, Vulcan. So you <laughs> I had my tear ducts removed. <laughs> so, um, I promised myself I wouldn't fall on this damn episode, Sarah. You're not helping me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there you go. Um, Yes, we're crying because uh, we're girls, damn it. <laughs> and we're, and we're, we're allowed. We we're people with hearts. <laughs> and we love other people. And yeah. we really, really loved Leonard Nimoy. And um, so, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing us ball like freaks. <laughs> but um, I also hope that, um, you know, it's a tribute episode and we we paid tribute to a great man and uh, a great character actor creator and artist and uh you know it's testament to him that we're crying right now and an activist and an activist as well and uh testament to how much he did and meant to all of us that you know i'm crying on there um <laughs> and Sarah is too. And Eric is a Vulcan, so he doesn't cry. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I'm. I've heard Eric sniffle a couple times. Yeah, just... I've heard a little bit of a hitch in his voice. So, you know, he's fighting his nature. <laughs> Giving um, myself a Vulcan inside. Nerve <laughs> he's cracking inside. Damn green-blooded bastard that you are, Eric. That's right. Um, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've. We lost a great guy and a, an amazing person, but we have so much that he left behind that'll last forever. And uh, Star Trek is going to be one of those things that keeps going. His work, not just in Star Trek, but in, in all the things that he did, they're going to be around forever. It's classic stuff. And uh, like I said, thank you, Leonard Nimoy. Thank um, you, Leonard uh, Sorry, I had, to, I, had to, I had to chime in there because... Yeah. It's like the gospel preacher thing. I don't know. Yeah. No. Um, so, the ship's out of danger, sir, and we will continue our voyage. And uh, with that, ain't much more I can say. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, Eric and Sarah, thank you for being on. And uh, this is Fangirl Radio signing off till next week when we will be having our Horror Hound special. Be prepared. It's going to be awesome. And thank you again. See you next week. Bye-bye. From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. And I find them highly illogical. 
girl meets boy, they fall in love. She says he's everything she's dreamed of. But when they get married, before he's aware, she changes his habits, the way he combs his hair. She changes him to someone he's never been, and then complains he's not like other men. Now really, I find this most illogical. Take the case of your automobiles. Greatest invention since man discovered wheels. Hydromatic overdrive, floor on the floor. Push button windows, push button doors. Double barrel carburetors rush you any place, but you never can find a parking space. Highly illogical. Take the case of modern man. He works all his life. Gives it all he can, saves all his money, works overtime, pinches every penny, banks every dime. All he can think about is money, but you know that he can't take it with him where he's going to go. Now I find that fascinatingly illogical. Now is the time to journey home, to tell of what I've learned. My people, I believe, have every right to be concerned. For in spite of computers and advanced psychology, behavior patterns are still a mystery. I predict the future of this earthly human race is that having made a mess of Earth, they'll move to outer space. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Totally, completely, absolutely, irrevocably, highly illogical.